this idea that knowledge, the awareness, it brings responsibility. And I believe the reason why we see so few people taking diaspora seriously and the opportunity that God has given us is so few people know about it. You're listening to the Let's Talk Diaspora podcast. I'm Bud. And I'm Rebecca. Join us as we have conversations that center around the diaspora population. While these people may be far from their home, we are witnessing God use believers to share the gospel with them, which is resulting in the ends of the earth coming to know and follow Jesus. Welcome to episode two of Let's Talk Diaspora. Rebecca, we need to address a really big issue. If you had pancakes for breakfast and you put this liquid stuff on top, what what do you call that? I call it syrup. What do you call syrup? it, mm-hmm. Syrup. Sur- syrup. <laughs> we're, we're close. Syrup and syrup. Okay. Uh, if you need to mail a letter and you're putting it in the holder of the letter that you're going to put the stamp on, what do you call that? I call that an envelope. An, uh, what do you call that? Uh, I call it an envelope. Uh, no, I don't. I, I was trying too hard. I don't say envelope. That that sounds odd. On, I, I guess I say envelope. Okay, we're we're similar. What about that candy that's real sticky and it's brown? It usually comes in kind of a square. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? What Definitely. You yeah, you're you're talking about caramel. Oh, I call how, it car- how do you say it? Caramel. I'm sorry that you're wrong. <laughs> oh, <laughs> let's look it up. <laughs> it's it's C A R. That's that's car, right? Car A. M-E-L. Caramel. Care. Care starts with C-A-R. Well, I'm glad you got to drop in on our conversation about how we pronounce things. Uh, The English language is unique, and there's tomato and there's tomato, but we have to come to a point where if we're going to have a podcast and diaspora is in its name, we have to agree on how we pronounce it. So, Rebecca, how have you been pronouncing that word, diaspora? I really started out um, pronouncing it diaspora, but um, as I kind of began to just kind of look at the word and listen to others pronounce it, um, I I began to see that I really kind of liked diaspora better than diaspora. Diaspora makes me think of some cell in my body or some fish out there in the ocean. Um, so how, how about you, bud? What is your story with pronouncing diaspora? I I always felt like there were too many ways to say it. And I was always just, um, trying to be a learner. You just listen to what other people say, but now that people are listening to us, I feel like we, we have to, we have to get it right. And so whenever you don't know something, obviously, what do you do if you're, you know, under the age of like 90, you, you. Google it, right? So like how how we Googled how do you pronounce it? And where we're landing is diaspora. And we'll put the we'll put the pronunciation in the show notes, but diaspora. You know, there's other ways. So you said diaspora. I've heard people say diaspora, but we're going with diaspora. Is that right? 
diaspora, I think is what we're okay. looking for. Oh, uh, we're, so we're, we're so confused. We are very confused. So you're going to hear us say it multiple ways, but at least we've, we've cleared the ground. This is the way you say it. Diaspora, all of our mistakes from this point, um, well, that's what they are. They are mistakes. <laughs> so, Rebecca, we have, we have the word. I think we need to define what what does diaspora mean. Well, I know um, the Webster Dictionary, which is usually where I'll go when I'm looking for something. Um, go back to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, and in that definition says diaspora is the movement, migration, or scattering of a people away from an established or ancestral homeland. Now, Bud, tell us, how do you normally, when you're defining diaspora, how do you define it? Yeah, I would say similarly, but uh, I, like, I like to be simple. I'm a simple guy, and it's the way I explain it. It's simply people who are now living outside uh, their, their country or area of origin. And so when we think of diaspora, there's actually um, a couple of ways to look at it. There's people who are displaced outside their home country. And there are also people that are internally displaced within a country. And so from a technical definition, um, I think those who are internally displaced are also diaspora people because they're outside their ancestral homeland. So just think from a historical perspective in the United States, uh, a topic that a lot of people don't necessarily like to talk about, but there was a point in time where the government actually relocated um, Native Americans. Even though they were native to the United States, they got moved from their ancestral homeland. And so a lot of people don't think that Native Americans are diaspora people. But based off this de de definition, they they were moved from their ancestral homeland. So you have people who are outside of their country of origin, which will be the primary people that we're talking about in this podcast, but not overlooking the fact that there will be internally displaced people as well. Which I hear you saying that means they could be moving outside of their country or they could be living still within inside that country, those country boundaries and still be considered part of that diaspora uh, moving from one, their actual homeland within that country. Yeah, I think another example of internally displaced people uh, would be if you think of the country of India. Uh, a, a lot of people know a little bit about India, but I think it's best, I heard a friend of mine explain India kind of like the European Union in a sense of it's people understand different countries in Europe have different languages and cultures, but it's one kind of continent. Well, in India, it's one country, but it has hundreds of cultures and languages. And for multiple reasons, we see people migrate from their ancestral homelands to, you know, large cities like Delhi or Mumbai or, you know, just various places. And that would also be diaspora. And we're thinking about reaching the unreached it's not just North America and Europe where diaspora is a strategic point for, for missions. It can be inside the country. So that's, that's another example, Rebecca. Well, and what about people that might not even have a homeland? Um, I think of the Rohingya particularly. I don't know that they've ever really even had their own 
land or place and they are being moved from one place to another, uh, would they be considered part of that diaspora? Yeah, the Rohingya are part of the diaspora. You think also, too, they, the Kurds kind of have a homeland, but they don't have a country. You know, So the Kurdish people reside in uh, Turkey, Syria, northern Iraq, and Iran. There's no Kurdistan um, that's recognized by the United Nations. But if you asked a Kurd where they live, if they're honest, they're going to say they live in Kurdistan. And we've seen that God has moved, you know, millions of Kurds outside of that geographic area, you know, into places like Germany, uh, into Lebanon, into North America as well. So, yeah, there's people like the Kurds, the Rohingya, that don't necessarily have a geopolitical boundary. Then when we think about the diaspora, it becomes less about the, the nation state and more about the people. And where, where do they call home and are they living outside of that home area? Well, that, that makes a lot of sense, too, why the numbers are so big of people living outside of those homelands or those countries. Um, I, back in 2020, they were estimating 281 million people were living outside of their countries of origin. And then now in North America, they're saying over 8 million, there are over 8 million unreached people groups living in North America from different places. And that's just in North America. So I can see why the numbers are so big when that diaspora, that diaspora <laughs> is so, um, just so, so broad. Yeah. The, the, fo the focus really of our conversations are going to be around the unreached 8 million, you know, is a conservative estimate of the unreached that are, that are diaspora people from, you know, majority of the 1040 window where it's actually, you know, difficult or creative access to, to go and live there. Um, 8 million of those people are here. But if we think of just diaspora in general, people coming from uh, countries that aren't necessarily considered unreached, the, the number of diaspora in North America is actually closer to 50 million. Mm -hmm. So the majority of the diaspora in North America are not unreached. Um, they are coming from places like Latin America, where, you know, really the North American church should really be listening to the Latin church a little bit, because we're seeing uh, in many places the church in Latin America being healthy and, and multiplying and, and seeing actually our Spanish-speaking brothers and sisters coming to the United States and then reaching out to other diaspora people from unreached people groups. So again, when we think of diaspora, it's not just, you know, we, we often think in a way that's ethnocentric, meaning kind of like our ethnicity or our country's at the center of things, but really God is at the center of things. And if God is moving people from sub-Saharan Africa, where there is a, a, a great body of Christ and from Latin America and they're coming to North America, we have to, we have to consider the implications of that that these brothers and sisters uh, aren't necessarily as much the mission field as they are mission partners. And then learning how can we collaborate with these believers from other cultures who are actually closer culture to many of these unreached people groups who have come to North America. So when we're talking about diaspora, we're really also talking about those unreached peoples, I'm hearing you say, as well as people that are more considered more reached. Maybe we should kind of 
I know this could be a whole nother episode, but could we define that a little bit about who's unreached and who's not reached be considered reached? Yeah, that's a, that's a great, great clarification, Rebecca. So, you know, missiologists have been discussing this for, for a while. And for the last 20 years, there's been a little bit of a consensus around what, what is an unreached people group when it comes to a number. Cause that's, especially as Westerners, we want to know what's the number, what's the threshold. And so before I share the number, I want to share a little bit of just the history behind where, where it came from. So the, the thought behind people group and unreached people groups come really from, uh, it really took a turn and became mainstream through a guy named Ralph Winter. And he, he actually didn't prefer the term unreached people groups. He preferred the term hidden peoples. Because what he was saying was there could be countries that were reached, but there were people hidden in those that were different, either because of language, culture, or religion that still had no access to the gospel in their language. And so the unreached people group idea really came about as far as access. So the percentages that that Joshua Project has been using, and that's that's a good leader of thought when we think of the unreached people group category is less than 2% evangelical and less than 5% Christian adherent. So that 5% number has to do with uh, Orthodox or Catholicism. So less than 5% that would fall under that kind of category and then less than 2% evangelical. I understand why we have numbers. The, the downfall of having a number is because then it comes becomes like a switch. Oh, they're over 2%. Now they're reached. Well, that's not the best way to look at it. What we should look at is, is there a um, thriving body of Christ that has the means to reach the remaining population in that people group? So that 2% and 5% is, is somewhat arbitrary, but really what we're looking at is, does the church have the means to reach the rest of the people group? Right. Well, thank you for clarifying that a little, because I know that can be a definition that everybody um, can be on a different page. Of. So when we're talking about diaspora, are we going to be focusing more on those unreached areas? Are we going to be, are those unreached peoples or do we want to be focusing more on those um, reached peoples as well. To me, I think it's a combination of both because you want those those that are reached being being a part of the church, just any you know one that's not even feel like they're part of the diaspora, to be a part of the church and reaching those that um, have not had a chance to hear um, or have the church is so small that they're not... Um, been able to do it on their own in their own from their own people group. Well, maybe yeah, we a... switch back to diaspora. Diaspora. <laughs> yeah. So let, let's just think about why why is diaspora a thing that we we see today? And this is our second episode, so it's kind of like the genesis, right? The genesis just it's it means the beginning. My, my daughter, uh, whenever she played softball when she was four years old, they actually let four-year-olds play softball, if you didn't know. Like, that's crazy. But her her team, her team name was Genesis. And I was like, oh, maybe this this guy's a brother. And he was. But so I asked him, why why is it called the Genesis? He said, this is the beginning. I'm like, oh, 
He only taught four, five, and six-year-old softball. So with this being the beginning, like let's let's look at Genesis. And I just think we want to always come back to scripture. In the beginning, you know, God created Adam and Eve, he put them in the garden, and he told them to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. He gave them one prohibition and they broke that, right? So sin entered the world, but even before sin entered the world, the command was to be fruitful and to multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. So God's plan, even from Genesis, was to fill the earth with his glory because we are made as image bearers of Christ. So now whenever we have a sinful nature, we we have a distortion of God's image. And how he redeems that is through Christ. And so if we think, okay, big picture, why is there diaspora? It's because God is still filling the earth with his glory. And now it is the message of the gospel that's transforming people to be image bearers of Christ. And so then if I, I think of, let's just kind of flush, flush that out. We have another episode. We're going to talk about the biblical foundations and many more passages. But if I just go to something that's so clear that tells us what God is doing in the diaspora, it's in, in Acts 17. So why do we have diaspora? Why is diaspora a thing? I think the answer Paul tells us while he is talking to the Athenians in Acts 17 and verse 26, he says this, and he said, he made from one man, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. We agree with that. Yes. But then he says, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places. So Paul is saying, God created everyone from one man, all of the nations, but God is also establishing where they live and when they live there. So in a point in time, if God is moving someone, then he is the unseen mover. And we have to ask, well, God, why are you doing this? Well, Acts tells us. It says that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. So why is God moving people? Moving people to the unreached and moving the unreached to his people, it's so that they should seek him and perhaps feel their way toward him because he is not far from any one of us. So why is diaspora a thing? I believe diaspora is a thing. It's because it's something God is doing. He's he's always been filling the earth with his glory. Even think of he, he had to push Adam and Eve out of paradise and not let them back. And then we start to see... Uh, people multiplying. And then you see the Tower of Babel. They wanted to make a name for themselves and gather together. And what did God do? He dispersed them. The same word where we get the word for diaspora, it's clear God dispersed them at the Tower of Babel. We have diaspora because it's what God's doing. Which is, I I love that because I know in my own life, I can so easily be in control. And even I'm thinking about sharing Christ with somebody. It's so much easier to share Christ with somebody that's just like me, you know, that um, speaks the same language, uh, maybe looks similar, um, also kind of has the same culture laid back, has those same stories. They at least could come to a, they know the Bible and know some Bible stories, but they may not know who Christ is. It's so much easier for me to share Christ with someone like that. That's much like me, but then there's this, no, I need to be 
I feel like God is telling us, no, we need to be sharing with those different from us. We need to be having a relationship with those different from us. So again, it's God doing it and not me in my little control, trying to be comfortable sharing with those people like me. Um, so I, I see diaspora, even diaspora being more of even that push and pull of um, wanting to do what's comfortable, but also wanting to um, get out and share with others um, that are different from myself. But again, push and pull of not me being in control, but God being in control and him getting the glory. Yeah, that's so good. Even the words you just used, push and pull, really define why people migrate. And you, you think of even yourself as an individual, anytime you've moved, it was one of two reasons primarily. It was because there was a job or an opportunity that was pulling you there, or it was you lived in a rental apartment and it had roaches and you were being pushed out. You said, I don't want to be there. I don't care where I go. I don't want to be there. But we see that exact same thing with the global diaspora today, that those two categories really define why people are on the move. So you have people who are coming uh, to study, you know, or coming for work to the United States, to Canada, to Europe, to better themselves, to make more money, to get more education. And so we would define that as, as a pull. So the majority of your international students, those who are coming as professionals, they're being pulled to something. You mentioned the Rohingya. The Rohingya are being pushed, right? They, they are running for their lives. And you see both of these categories, and they are totally different culturally. But more than that, they are different through their experiences. And as we further talk about this conversation around diaspora, we start to see that people's identities they start to get what, what my friend Chris calls hybridity. They're hybrid identities. And it's not just their home culture and now their host culture that affects that. We have to understand, too, that their story of immigration greatly affects who they are. Well, and, and this whole push and pull just, again, goes back to that, you know, it's all God wanting to receive the glory. So the push is happening for God to receive glory and the pull is happening. So why is it important for us to talk about diaspora? I feel like it's important because it's something God is doing and he's been doing and we need to take notice of it. God has brought millions of unreached people groups to North America. But who are the people? Where do they live? What are they like? And how can they be reached with the gospel? What if there was a, a resource to answer those questions and more? There is. UPG North America was developed to be a voice to and a resource for the body of Christ. UPGNorthAmerica.com is an organizational neutral website where we have contributors from various individuals, churches, and organizations. And perhaps you have a part to play in contributing content, research, or your technical expertise to see all UPG communities seen, prayed for, and engaged with gospel workers. Go to UPGNorthAmerica.com for more information. this is yeah i think um in our introduction episode i i said this but if you want to see where god's at work find where people are on the move 
because all throughout scripture, when you see people on the move, it's God at work. And typically it, it is for blessing or for, for punishment. Um, and if we understand God's character, any punishment is for our good. Mm. And so it's, it's, it's always for our good when we see people on the move, even though it, it's so hard to comprehend how we could say that when there's, there's so much bad that comes with those people who are being pushed. And that's, that's, that's a subject I don't really want to uh, talk about now because that, that's a deep subject of like talking about suffering and pain and how could God allow these things to happen. But if we understand that we see that all throughout scripture, God's people, Israel, they suffered. They, they were attacked by, by armies, but God has always been faithful to his, to his covenant. So why is it important to talk about it first is because it's what God's doing. But I think the real key is, is this idea that knowledge, the awareness, it brings responsibility. And I believe the reason why we see so few people taking diaspora seriously and the opportunity that God has given us is so few people know about it. And so our role is to bring awareness. And with awareness, God will spur that responsibility, that stewardship in individual churches and and believers, and that then turns to action. And that's really what our heart is, is to say, we want to see more people hear about the good news of Jesus who's never had an opportunity to do it. And what better chance than where we have thousands of churches and millions of believers to be salt and light among communities that are coming from, you know, gospel deprived areas of the world. And then God receives all the glory and all the praise from those that have been out <laughs> being obedient to um, sharing with the others and watching others come to know and trust him. I love it. I love it. I love it. So, Bud, do you, um, you were talking about the education part. Are there some resources that might be helpful for people to um, start learning about diaspora and where are the diaspora? Yeah, a great a great resource uh, to learn about the diaspora specifically in North America is a website called upgnorthamerica.com. Uh, they've done the work to to identify and highlight and prioritize who are these least reached people groups that now call the um, United States and Canada home. Uh, it focuses on cities where there's large population pockets because really we want to see these people to have the opportunity to hear the gospel. But we know the best way to see an entire people hear the gospel is to see churches established and uh, health. They learn what it means to follow Jesus as a community, and then they reproduce that. Uh, you know, that's one thing is God, God is a God that moves people, but God is also a God of multiplication. He just multiplies his glory, and he does that too through his churches and through his people. So that's a great resource. Another resource, if you want to learn more about maybe individual people groups. And they also have some information on the diaspora we mentioned earlier is Joshua Project. Uh, so you could check out Joshua Project as well. And then there are other resources that are just more ethnographic, um, anthropological information if you just want to learn about a people group. Uh, I mentioned in our episode, our first episode that I, I'm involved with research. And, you know, there's there's a couple ways that we research people groups. We want to learn who are the people? We want to learn what are they like? And so that's a piece learning about their culture. We want to learn how 
how do we share the gospel with them? How do we reach them? And that's developing once we learn their culture, saying, what is the good news to these people? And then the last question we do in research is, how are we doing? And just being honest and assess where are the gaps that we want to mobilize more workers, more laborers to, to come and share the gospel and make disciples. But also we want to mobilize the church to pray as well. Because when we pray and God moves, he gets the glory. Well, and I'm glad you said that because sometimes research sounds a little intimidating to me. <laughs> but when I look at being able to begin to pray, get to know people groups, um, I know that I've t- taken a look at UPG North, upgnorthamerica.com, and it's got a great resource um, for being able to start praying for um, different unreached people groups particularly that have moved here into North America, where you can do an, a virtual prayer walk, or you could actually do a um, literal, I mean, in-person prayer walk in a particular city and area. Um, so it's a great way to begin to get to know some of these unreached peoples um, in the diaspora and being able to start praying for them. And to me, anyone, as a believer, anyone can pray or we might feel a little intimidated by that research aspect. So I love that you mentioned um, that prayer piece. Yeah, I think that that is a great next step. If you're listening and you've never checked out the website and you don't even maybe know where to get started or you're already started, is is just take a few minutes today and go do a virtual prayer walk among a people group in a city near you. So like if you're like Rebecca and you live in a city that is not a major metro, uh, we may not have there may not be something there for your city, but just pick a city that's close to you, do a virtual prayer walk and and begin to align your heart with God's heart for those people who like I mentioned may have went through a lot of turmoil to get here. And they think maybe the United States is, is their salvation, but we want to pray that they would find salvation in Christ alone and that they would uh, receive the peace and hope that Jesus offers that the United States, as great a country as it is, can't offer. Christ is King. We want to thank you all for listening to episode two of Let's Talk Diaspora. Um, to help us out, hit the subscribe button so that when you will be, then you'll be notified when future episodes um, launch. And together we can be equipped and compelled to share the best news we have as believers of Jesus with those who have yet to hear. This season is sponsored by UPG North America. Go to upgnorthamerica.com for more information.